Please turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. God's grace truly is amazing. We as a church have been looking through the last part of chapter 4 of Ephesians, talking about how God's grace works in our lives, how God's grace has taken us from death into life. We've seen that earlier in the book of Ephesians. And now, as believers, we have a, a new life in Jesus Christ. We've been looking in the last part of Ephesians chapter 4, seeing how this new life that we have causes us to, to act differently, how it causes, to, causes us to act in accordance with our new nature, and how God's grace continues to work in our life to transform us. And we've been looking over the last several weeks at some specific areas that God's grace should be continuing to transform us so that we act in accordance with our new nature, and uh, this is... In my mind, this, these, these, these verses are kind of like shooting fish in a barrel as far as uh, application and conviction because each of us, if we're truly uh, saved and, and have the Spirit of God within us, have a conviction about our need to change in these areas. And so we've talked about lying and anger and, and, and stealing and all these things are, are things that as we look at our hearts, desire, we have a desire to, to be sanctified in and to grow in Christ in. And so it's been encouraging for me and convicting for me to, to teach through it, and talking to you, I know that God's been working in many hearts as well, as, as his word has been convicting us and giving us a desire to walk in accordance with our new nature. Well, if you would, stand with me in honor of God's word. We're going to be looking at verses 17 through 24, reading them, and then our text this morning to really focus on is verses 29 and 30 of Ephesians chapter 4, as we talk about our speech Paul says this in verse 17, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupted through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And here's how that looks in terms of our speech. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. May God encourage us through his word this morning. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you today for our moms. We thank you for the, the, the women in our life who have encouraged us and nurtured us. Father, I pray that this would be just a very special day for, for our mothers. We pray for moms who are hurting. Pray this morning for moms who are here because uh, and are hurting because of, of things that have happened with their children. And, and so I, I pray for special grace and on those moms this morning. I, I pray for, for mothers who are who are, are hurting for other reasons. We pray for, for, um, for people here who 
or even are, have a difficult relationship with their mom. I pray that you'd help them have, have special grace this morning to, to honor their, their mother, as your word calls us to do. And, and, and thank you for, for your grace that does allow us to be obedient to you, even in, in difficult circumstances. And, and I pray for, for mothers this morning who are just struggling in parenting, or struggling with, with how to be good moms. And so I pray for your grace in their life as well. Encourage them through your word, even this morning. Help their husbands to come alongside them and to encourage them as well. And Father, we pray this morning for our hearts as we turn to this text. Help us to think very carefully about the words that come out of our mouths and how you would sanctify us in our speech. And I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for your glory. Amen. I'd like to begin this morning with a word of application start off with some application for the text this morning. We're talking about words that we're to speak, and so my encouragement for you right off the bat is sometime today, find a mom, it doesn't have to be your mother, and tell her Happy Mother's Day. In fact, I would like to be the first to follow my own exhortation here and uh, just tell my mom, uh, who's not in the room but hopefully is listening to this sermon in a, in a, in a car somewhere in the, some date in the future, Mom, Happy Mother's Day, I love you, okay? Wasn't that much better than getting a card on time, Mom? You see, I, I didn't mail her a card in time, so hopefully this will cover it. Um, I'll call her this afternoon, too. This is the gift that keeps on giving. Um, we're talking this morning about speech, about the words that we use, about communication, and I am fascinated by the process by which my, my children learn to speak. We have four kids, and, and each of them have, have learned to speak at, at different ages and, and have learned at different types of communication, and, and some have, have learned very quickly, and, and some have, have processed things very slowly, but whenever things kind of, it's interesting to see when things click, and once things click, they're a lot further along than another kid was. And so each child has developed their ability to speak at, at different rates and uh, sometimes to different levels of success. Our youngest child has probably had the most interesting journey towards uh, being verbal. She spent uh, the first year and a half in a, of her life in an orphanage in Guatemala where she was primarily exposed to, to the Spanish language and maybe some other dialects. And she, uh, she's just recently, in the last month or so, really just took off in, in her communication. And you know, just this last week, she'd say things to me like this, uh, Daddy is handsome. And I, I actually taught her that one, but... Uh, <laughs> Daddy is handsome. Mommy is pretty. Uh, Hannah is pretty. Austin is handsome. Noah is stinky. Um, and I think she's trying to be funny. I, I hope she's trying. But she has this, this great personality. It's really coming through as she's learned how to communicate using words. And there, there's times it's very stressful. I'm sure you who are parents have felt this as well. Yet you don't know what your child is thinking. Then they begin to develop this ability to communicate using words. And, and now you're not so sure. You're glad you know what they're thinking. But at least you do. And you have this ability to communicate. Speech is an amazing, amazing gift that God has given us. The ability to communicate thoughts and, and emotions and concepts using words. It's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's breathtaking as you think about it. In fact, I'm, gonna, I'm about to say a word. And it's a word that I'm guessing none of you are just thinking right now in your heads. But, but once I say this word, those of you who are, who are still awake will be thinking this word perhaps as well. Okay? The word is stadium. Okay? 
Now, probably none of you were thinking about a stadium before I just said the word stadium. And now, again, probably the vast majority of you are, are thinking of the word stadium. And I could use more words, and as I use more words, uh, you could think of more specific stadiums. So I could say, uh, Washington Community High School Stadium, right across the street. And now, across the room, there are probably different stadiums you were thinking of, and now we're all kind of thinking about that stadium, or, or most of us are thinking about that stadium, if you can kind of picture it in your mind's eye. I don't have to say, all right, everyone stand up, we're going to go walk across the street, see, this is a stadium, okay? I can use words, and, and through my words, I can cause you to, to think about a concept or an idea. I can cause you to, to travel off to, to, to a place that you've never even visited, and I can describe it, and I can tell you about what it sounds like and, and what, it, what it smells like. I can tell you about tastes that you'll experience at this location, and, and you'll never go there, perhaps, but it's like you've been there because through my, through my speech, I can communicate this idea to you, this place. With my speech, I can cause you to, to feel happy. I can make you feel very sad. I, I can make you angry. I can rile you up just by speaking. I can make some of you very sleepy just by speaking for long enough. Through words, things happen. Words are very powerful things. With my speech this morning, I can encourage you in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Through speech, through talking about God's word, I, I can cause you to, to know God better when you leave here than, than when you walked in. And also, with my speech, I can hurt you very deeply. I can say things about your appearance. I can say things about your family. I can say things about your personality that would wound you very deeply. Words are powerful things. And this morning, my encouragement to you is this. My encouragement to you is to think very carefully about the words that come out of your mouth. And ask yourself, are, are the people around me better off because I have the ability to communicate using words? Are people around me closer to God, have a greater understanding of his will for their life? Do, do the people around me love God more deeply because I have the gift of speech? Or are people around me worse off because I speak to them? Are my words edifying or are my words destructive? My son Austin has a, loves Legos and took me into his room this, this week. He said, Dad, I want to show you this car that I have. And so I walked into his room and he shows me this Lego car and he starts tearing it up. I said, what are you doing, son? He goes, well, I want to show you how it all fits together. And he spreads out on his, on his little dresser there all these these different pieces, you know, 100 pieces or whatever there are, there are there, a couple dozen pieces, and, and I think, oh boy, this is going to take forever. And, but he knows where each piece goes. He looks at his little diagram there, and he begins to, to put each of these little tiny pieces into the, 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 the shape as a whole, and it, it comes together, and now he's got this Lego car when it's completed. Every piece is specifically designed to go in a certain place, a little bump on that car, and together it forms this, this Lego car. It's a complete piece. As we're thinking about our words, I believe the central idea of the text this morning is that as believers, every word that we speak should be custom-fitted for the occasion in which we find ourselves. Every single word that we speak as believers should be custom-fitted 
designed, custom-built, tailor-made for that situation in which we find ourselves in, for that occasion we find ourselves in, so that the people around us can be built up in their faith in Jesus Christ for the glory of God. Whenever we find ourselves in any sort of situations, the, word that we, the words that we speak should be designed for that situation in order to cause people to grow in their walk with the Lord. That's a great challenge that I believe is presented in this text. Our words should be precise, designed to build up our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to look at at two things this morning. We're going to, first of all, look at putting off speech that corrupts. uh, Putting off speech that that corrupts. We'll see that in the first part of verse 29 verse 30. Then we're also going to look at putting on speech that builds up. So we're going to talk about putting off speech that corrupts, and then talk about putting on speech that builds up. Let's first of all talk about putting off speech that corrupts. As we talk about putting off speech that corrupts, I want us to do three things. First of all, we're going to look at the the nature of this instruction, uh, what Paul is instructing them to do as he says to put off this certain type of speech. Then we're going to talk about the heart that Paul is addressing here, what type of heart talks the way that Paul is telling people not to talk. So we're going to look first at the instruction, then at the heart, and then finally at just some practical ways to to put off this type of speech that Paul tells us to put off. So let's first talk about the instruction here. The instruction, Paul says in verse 29. Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. And that word that he uses there, corrupting, is a word that can also be used to to talk about something that's, that's rotten something that's unwholesome, something that's worthless. Imagine if you're getting ready to go on vacation, you decide to kind of clean out your refrigerator, and you you put some some eggs in the trash can, and you you put some some fish, and just dump a gallon of milk in there, and you were going to take it out, and you forget, and so you just put it in this this, this this, uh, trash can, and you leave it in your garage, and it's the summer. You go off for two weeks, and you you come back, and this this garbage can has been sitting there for two weeks in the, the hot a Peoria sun, and, and you're like, now what did I put in there? And you open the lid, whoa, you know, there's just this, this stench that comes out of the trash can, okay? It's, it's full of rotten, putrid, putrid, rancid things. That's like what this unwholesome language is that the Paul is telling us to, to put off. There's words that we speak that are unwholesome, that are corrupting, that are foul, and Paul says this, let no, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Some of us have this idea that, okay, whenever I'm at church, I have certain types of words that I use in, in church, churchies, okay? And so I see my brother in Christ, and I say, a good blessed morning to you. And, and uh, whenever I'm around my family, I have family words that I use. I love you so much. And then I'm at work, and I have my work language, you know, blah, no, 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 okay? Or uh, teenagers, you know, I, I know teenagers sometimes struggle with this as well. You have certain types of communication that you engage in with your friends at school, and then there's language that you use around mom and dad, and, and you're just, you'd be terrified if mom and dad ever heard you talking to your friends the way you talk to your friends. That is not the way that the Christian should live their life. That's not the way that the Christian should speak. The Christian, the person who's been born again, should have a heart that desires to speak edifying things. And so Paul says, let no unwholesome thing come out of your mouth. And James chapter 3, verse 10, uh, the writer would say, James would say, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Paul says, let no unwholesome speech come out of your mouth. That's his instruction. Now as we talk about this instruction, let me kind of give you three categories of speech 
that I believe fall under this, this category of corrupting talk, the speech that corrupts. Three categories of speech that I believe falls under this, this category. Uh, one example would be this. It would be speech that corrupts because it's coarse and it's offensive. Speech that corrupts because it's coarse and offensive. Uh, this would be you know, words that describe maybe like bodily functions, okay? Or they're just words that describe uh, sexual relationships, and, and they're just offensive words. I was reading an article th- uh, several weeks ago about pulpits in America that, that are now, the pastors are engaging in this type of language, and they're using very coarse and, and rough speech. And you know, it's just describing uh, things that exist anyway. It's not, not wrong to say that these types of words are trying to be relevant. It's that's contrary to the teaching here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Uh, Paul is saying that our speech should not be unwholesome, it should not be coarse, it should not be offensive, it should be edifying. And so that's, that's one category of speech that corrupts. Speech that corrupts because it, it's coarse and it's offensive. Another category of speech that I think falls under this category would be speech that corrupts because it treats the spiritual realm with, with flippancy, with, with disdain. It, it doesn't take the spiritual realm seriously. This would be, uh, for example, this would be uh, someone that might use the word uh, damn or the word hell, uh, not to describe hell, or not to describe damnation, but just as a, as a curse word or as an explicative. Okay? Uh, this would be uh, a person that, that uses uh, the, the phrase uh, in a way that, that fails to take into account the reality of hell, reality of the spiritual realm. The believer should never use the word damn or never use the word hell in a context other than describing the reality of that place and, the, and taking in that in, into account as they use that word. When a person uses the word damn or uses the word hell and isn't referring to hell, I think one of several things is true. Uh, first of all, that they may be an unbeliever. And they may be an unbeliever that's in rebellion to the idea of hell, the rebellion to the idea of God's judgment. And perhaps uh, they, they just treat it very flippantly because th- they don't believe in it. They haven't acknowledged God, and they haven't acknowledged the fact that, that people are going to fall under God's judgment in line of God's wrath. And, and so they use uh, those words very flippantly. You know, blank this, and you know, who the blank, things like that. Okay. Perfectly in keeping with, with their nature. Okay. They haven't come to a point where they've recognized the, the reality of those, the, the, re- the, the seriousness behind those words. The other possibility is that a believer uses these phrases. These words should never come out of a believer's mouth in a flippant way. And here's why. A believer that uses those words, again, one of, one of two things, perhaps both things are true. First of all, perhaps they failed to recognize the incredible salvation that God has offered by delivering them from his judgment, by delivering them from hell. And so when a believer uses the word hell, as in who the or or what the, what they're saying is that that hell isn't that serious of a place. And that the the work of Jesus Christ on the cross to deliver them from that judgment wasn't that big of a deal. Or, just as tragically, a believer who uses those phrases in a a flippative way, in a a, uh, way that that fails to take upon, uh, fails to recognize the gravity of those words, that person is saying, I don't care about the people who truly are damned. I don't care about the, the souls of people who truly are in danger of God's eternal wrath. That's not a scriptural way to understand those, those words. 
from what Paul says in Romans? Paul says that he has unceasing anguish and sorrow in his heart as he considers the wrath of God and the judgment of God. And so a believer should never treat those words with, with flippancy, with, with disdain. Should take them and consider them as very grave words to speak. This is corrupting speech that's corrupting, that's damaging because it fails to hold the spiritual realm with respect. And another example of this would be taking God's name in vain, right? And so a, a believer should never use God's name in, in other, any other way than a form of worship, okay? God's name is not to be an explicative. God's name is not to be used in, in a casual manner. Another way that we as believers need to be careful of this is, is when we're praying. A believer doesn't treat the spiritual realm with flippancy by praying in a casual manner. A believer who is praying carefully considers God's name as he utters it. He says, God, we pray to you, and he says that. He's, he's very conscious of, of who God is and of his character and his, of worshiping in the right way. We're careful as we sing praise songs and worship songs and, and hymns as we're considering the person whom we're, we're singing to. So again, this is speech that corrupts. Speech corrupts sometimes because it's coarse and offensive. A speech corrupts because it fails to, to really take the spiritual realm seriously. And speech is also a third category of speech that's corrupting. It's, it's speech that's simply designed to hurt people. Or speech that, that hurts people inadvertently sometimes as well. Uh, this type of speech is, is speech that, that, uh, that, that we use in, in the context of, for example, an argument. Okay, we're arguing with someone, and, and we disagree with what they're saying, and instead of saying, well, look, this is why I disagree with you, and let's talk about this rationally, we, we skip and we start uh, using words that, that are designed to hurt them. Yeah, well, I guess you would think that because you're s stupid. Okay? Or, yeah, I could see how you would think that because you never understand anything complicated. Or we use sarcastic words, we use biting words, words that are designed to inflict the maximum amount of damage on the people that we're having the conversation with. We use sarcastic words, we use biting words. Sometimes uh, we use this in, in the context of a relationship with, with our spouse. Whitney and I have this thing that uh, we've observed, in, uh, never in our own marriage, but in other people's marriage, that we call, I call the, the post-honeymoon post dialogue, okay? You listen to them talk to each other, and you recognize, you know what, that cruise ship has long since returned from the honeymoon, and they have, you know, they've unpacked their bags. The honeymoon has, has long since uh, ceased to exist in this marriage. And uh, here, as you hear these, th these married people talk to one another, you're hearing like the echoes of, of arguments of ages past in, the, in their conversation. Maybe you're at a, a dinner with, with a married couple, and you're having hamburgers, and everyone sits down, and the, the wife says to the husband, uh, honey, did you get the ketchup? The husband looks at the table, very obvious that the ketchup is not on the table. He goes, no, I, I didn't. I thought you would get it when you got the mustard, which is right here that you got, which is right next to the ketchup in the refrigerator. And uh, she says, well, you usually get the ketchup, and I always get the mustard. He goes, well, that's never happened, actually. I think it's, I always get both of them. And it just goes on and on, and you want to just scream at them, just get it over with. Okay, I'll go get the ketchup, smother myself in it, and fake an injury and get out of here. Okay, you're driving me crazy. Okay, and yet, you know, we do that. It's this nitpicky, biting, precise speech that just drives you insane, especially if you're in that relationship. We have to be very careful. Our, why am I speaking this way to this person? What's in my heart? We'll talk about that in just a minute. But, but married couples have a tendency, and it's, you know, it's true, the longer you're married, 
to, to get in this precise, nitpicky language that is not edifying. It's corrupting. It's damaging. No one likes to listen to it. And you think you're not doing it, but you are. Okay. Siblings, brothers and sisters, use very biting words with one another. Friends in the workplace. There's many examples of this speech that's damaging to others. Okay. Think about, of course, you know, probably the most convicting area for, for many of us as we think about our, our children. Okay? And here we have these, these precious children who have been uh, placed in our home by God in order for us to, to bring them up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord. And, and yet, how do we speak to them sometimes? And, you know, I, I think of, with shame of some of the words that I've used, some of the tones of, of voices that I've employed to correct and train my children. It should not take place in, through the mouth of the believer the speech that, that damages others intentionally or unintentionally. A couple of Bible verses I'd like you to consider as we, we think about the damage that our words cause. You can just write these down. Uh, Proverbs 8.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 8.21. Proverbs 21.9 says it's, it's better to live in the corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. You could easily add there, it's better to live on, on, on a roof than in a house with a quarrelsome husband or an angry yelling husband or a husband who won't talk at all. Not a very pleasant situation in which to find yourself. Those words can be very damaging. Jesus says this in Matthew 12, 36 and 37. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, listen to this, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. The instruction here that Paul is giving is put off speech that corrupts. This type of speech could be speech that fails to take the spiritual realm seriously. It's speech that, that's, uh, doesn't, uh, uh, that's coarse or offensive, and it's speech, it's speech that damages others. It also has effect upon the Holy Spirit. Look down at verse 30. Very interesting that Paul would tie this with our speech. He says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. As Paul gives us this instruction about putting off this type of speech, he says, And know this, that the Holy Spirit is also grieved sometimes by the words that you use. And when you use corrupting words, words that fail to glorify God, words that fail to build up other believers, uh, words that are unwholesome, know this. You are causing the Holy Spirit himself to be grieved. And he refers back to the idea that he introduced in chapter 1, verse 13, about the Holy Spirit being the one who seals us for the day of redemption. He says that the Holy Spirit, who, who God has given you to encourage you, to, to sustain you through your Christian life here on earth until the, the time of redemption, the Holy Spirit at times is, is grieved by the way that you speak to one another. That's the instruction here. Let's think about the heart. Let's think about the heart of the person that uses these types of words. Uh, really, I think what we see is the heart of this person uh, doesn't care. The heart of this person doesn't care that they grieve the Holy Spirit. In fact, they don't care about the damage they cause to other people as well. They, they delight in, in lashing out. Listen to this also about the heart. In fact, uh, turn with me. Uh, two, I have two passages here. Let's first go to Matthew. Let's, let's, actually, let's go to James. James chapter 3. 
Turn with me to James chapter 3, and you can just write down uh, Matthew chapter uh, 12, verse, uh, verses um, 33 through 37. We already looked at verses 36 and 7. Here's what James chapter 3 says. James chapter 3, he's talking about speech. He says this, James chapter 3, verse 6. He says that the tongue, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by man. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Paul's instruction here is to, to put off speech that corrupts. And as he turns now and tells us about the, the heart, we see in the context of Ephesians chapter 4, and we see here in James chapter 3, we, we see that the heart cannot help but produce speech that is in accordance with the nature of that heart. The ungodly heart cannot help but produce ungodly speech. It is powerless it's powerless. A man can tame reptiles and birds and go to a circus and you can get bears to do crazy things. But you cannot tame your tongue. The tongue is going to reveal what is in the heart. Let me give you a couple encouragements for you as you think about putting off certain types of speech. Here are some things that I encourage you to do as you try to, to put off this, this corrupting speech. The first thing that I would suggest is, is this. Uh, Try closing your mouth, okay? If you find, you know, I, you're, just, you're just a talker, you're saying some, some terrible things, start, you know, step one, close mouth, all right? Sometimes I, I'm in the car with Whitney after a party and, and some sort of get-together, I say, boy, you know, why didn't you just, uh, like, come behind me and put your hand over my mouth? I should have stopped talking long ago, okay? And she goes, oh, it's, it's not that bad because she, she's too sweet, but uh, we, step one, as we talked about, putting off corrupting speech is, is to, to stop talking sometimes. Secondly, understand that you're fighting a losing battle apart from Christ. Apart from God, working a change within your heart, you're fighting a losing battle, and so the, the, the next thing, as we think about putting off speech that corrupts, a person needs to understand they need Jesus Christ in order to speak good speech. Not necessarily always grammatically correct speech, of course, person needs to come to the point in their life where they understand that they're a sinner. That they've done things that have displeased God. They've done things that are dishonoring to God and they stand in line of his wrath and of his judgment of hell. And as they recognize that, they need to recognize also that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins, rose from the dead, and placed their faith and trust in him alone. And if you haven't come to a point in your life where you've recognized your need for Jesus Christ, because of your sin, and placed your faith in him alone for your salvation, you have no hope of being able to fight this battle of the tongue. So we need to ask God, ask God through the gospel, change our hearts, to change our speech. Also, I'd encourage you as you're thinking about putting off this type of speech is, is to think through the, what the purpose of speech is. In every given context, in every situation you, you're about to, to talk, ask yourself, why am I saying this? What's my purpose? And very often we'll find that the purpose of our speech is, is not to build up, but is to, to tear down. 
psalmist says this in Psalm 141, verse 2, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. That's verse 1, verse 2. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Isn't that a great phrase? Keep watch, keep guard, God, over the, the door of my lips. Many of us need to ask God, as we think about putting off the speech that corrupts, to, to be like a, a guard over the door of our lips. So that's speech that, that corrupts, putting off speech that corrupts. Let's talk about putting on some speech that, that builds up. Here's what Paul says next in verse 29. He says, uh, first of all, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And so again, let's talk about the heart. The heart of the person who, who speaks corrupt talk is a person who, who doesn't care about grieving the Holy Spirit. They have no ability to, to restrain their language, and so out of their, their mouth comes what's in their heart. Now, the heart has been changed. This is the, the heart of a person who loves God, who loves God's people, and because they love God, be, therefore they love his people, and therefore they're going to say words that are designed to encourage. Remember the central idea of the text, I believe, is this, that we as believers need to make sure that every single word that we speak is tailor-made, custom-fitted, in order to encourage our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the heart, the believer, has a heart that desires to encourage their brothers and sisters in Christ, and so the words that are going to come out of, of their mouth come from that heart. Now, three things here about the instruction three characteristics of, of this type of speech. First of all, we see in the text, it's speech that, that builds up. And he uses a, a singular word here. He's not talking about just about words. He's saying word. Every word should be appropriate. Every word should be designed to glorify God. Every word should be designed to build up your brothers and sisters in Christ. There aren't any freebies in your speech, okay? You can't say, well, you know, I, I spoke about Ten sentences to that guy, and one of them was a little off, but, but the majority were good. Every word that comes out of our mouth should be designed for the occasion in which we find ourselves to build up. It's designed to build up. You think about Barnabas, the book of Acts. Barnabas was, was the son of encouragement. He was the guy that, that came, along saw, uh, came alongside Paul, one of the first believers to encourage Paul. They sent Barnabas down or up to Antioch whenever uh, they started the church in Antioch, and, and Barnabas was the guy that went with Paul in order to encourage these new believers. Uh, Barnabas was the guy that, that took the decision of the council in Acts chapter 15, and they sent him to other churches, and he, he took with, with him uh, Paul and this, this letter, and so encouraged the churches through his speech. Uh, Barnabas was an encourager. Another example in Scripture, I think, is, is uh, the example of Joseph. Uh, Joseph, at the end of the book of Genesis, remember, his brothers are a little uh, freaked out. Here's this guy that they tried to, you know, to sell him. They threw him in a pit first. They thought about killing him. They just, then they decided to, to sell him as a slave. Dad dies, and their brothers are like, man, we're toast. He may, you know, put on this, this good boy face around daddy. Daddy's dead. We're in big trouble. And what does Scripture tell us about Joseph? Joseph told them several things. In fact, let me just turn there. At the end of Genesis, it says, uh, Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Notice some things about Joseph's speech here. He, he's not minimizing what they did. He's not saying, ah, no, but you know, things happen. All right. He's being truthful in his communication. 
he's pointing them to God, and ultimately, his speech is a, is a speech that builds up, that encourages them in their understanding of God and in their relationship with Joseph. An amazing speech to, to study sometimes. So he speaks kindly and truthfully and encourages them. He, he builds up. So that's, that's the first thing about the instruction here. The speech that we use should be designed to, to build each other up. Secondly, we see this in the text. It says, uh, speech that is good for building up as fits the occasion. This speech is designed to fit whatever occasion we find ourselves in. I believe that means this. I believe it means as we find ourselves in a context talking to someone, we think about what, bits, what best fits this context in which we find ourselves in. And so if a, a person is, is looking at us and, and yelling at us, we don't say, you know, you look really funny, you know. Or if a person is, is crying, we, you, don't, you don't say, hey, uh, you know, why are you so angry? Okay, we look at the, per- the situation the person is in, and by being word-saturated, by knowing what God's word says, by being wise according to God's word, we have the ability to speak into that situation in which our brother and sister in Christ finds himself. We speak words that, that fit the occasion. We, we carefully consider what we see, and sometimes even these words could be temporarily discouraging. Sometimes we could say some things that are designed to build up but, but may discourage for a moment, but they're still designed ultimately to bring about encouragement and, and building up in the faith. In fact, I, I would also add this. Um, I think that certain types of speech, depending upon the context, can be either encouraging or offensive, depending upon the context and the person you're talking to. Now, now there's some speech that no matter what context you find yourself in, it's not going to be appropriate. Uh, but sometimes there may be like a, a, a joke you're going to tell, or, or sometimes a, a person might be kind of a playfully sarcastic. And, and there's one situation you might find yourself in where it's funny, or there's a certain person you're talking to, and they kind of appreciate sarcasm. I've used this example before, but, but uh, in, in staff meetings, when I would talk to Pastor Rich sometimes, uh, you know, he enjoys a, a very sarcastic uh, sense of humor. And so I, I could say something sarcastically in disagreement, and it would be taken well because he appreciated the joke. Now, if I'm in a discussion with Whitney and we're, we're, at, we're disagreeing about something, sarcasm is not a great tool to use in that context, okay? She doesn't appreciate sarcasm in the same way. It's, it's, it's offensive. It, it's belittling in, 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 uh, in our conversation, so I, I don't use it in that context. So we build each other up. That's the purpose of our speech, and we, we look at the occasion which we find ourselves in, and, and finally, we make sure we make sure this We make sure that the words give grace to those who hear, that they enable people to walk closer with the Lord. The sum of everything is this, that that we would make sure that every word we we speak is is custom-fitted, is is tailor-made for that context in which we find ourselves in, so that our brothers and sisters would be encouraged in Christ. You know, the Roman Roman, uh, philosophers had a very singular idea about the purpose of education and many of them believe that that some education was designed primarily to be able to convince people of things and in arguments and in discussions and in rhetoric they understood that the more you knew the the better you'd be able to apply something in certain contexts i believe that we would do well to emulate them as we become students of god's word and and know god's word more and more so that we would know whatever situation we find ourselves in what what that right word is to speak that's going to encourage and and build up our our brother and sister in in christ what the, the exact moment the exact word at the exact moment 
kind of uh, debated about whether or not using this as an, as an illustration. But um, I, I talked with the person that was involved in the situation, and they said it was, it was okay. Uh, encouraged me to, to use, or said it was okay to use it. And so was, uh, a few weeks ago, I received an email from, from someone who had, who had disagreed with a, with a portion of, of something that I had said in one of the sermons. And, and most of the email was, was very encouraging, you know, great. But, but they used uh, one line that, that wasn't quite as encouraging, okay? And, and the line was this. They said, uh, what you said was uh, indefensible at best, and, and heresy at worst, okay? A, po- a potential heresy at worst. And uh, you know, like the worst word you can say to someone who's just finished preaching is, is the word heresy, okay? Not, not a very building up word. And, and, and so I was kind of, that word kind of stung a little bit, right? And, and this person, I have a great relationship. And, and so uh, I, I read, like, you know, I, I wish I had said what I said in the sermon differently, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think that those, that statement was true, and, and I didn't say that, but, but the person emailed me back, and they said, hey, I just read, reread my email. You know, heresy may have been the wrong word to use there. I was very encouraged, okay? One word, one word in an email, was, was just, we both agreed, was not the best word to use in that situation. Now, again, I would have said what I said in the sermon differently, but at the same time, my friend needed to use the exact right word at the right moment in order to encourage me believe here's some encouragements that I would have for you as to how to put on this type of speech. First of all, be a great listener before you become a great speaker. Listen carefully to the people in your life. Gain a sense of their need. Examine, examine what's going on in their life b- before you begin to speak so that you can use the exact right word at the exact right moment. Examine your motives in your speech. Why am I communicating to this person? Immerse yourself in God's word. Seek godly empowerment through your words and, and choose your words intentionally. Parents, husbands, wives, friends, all of us need this exhortation so that the words that we speak can be encouragements to people around us. Ellie is, is doing an amazing job learning how to communicate, learning how to speak. Uh, my job as is, is her, her dad is to continue to encourage her in that process. Many of us as believers need to learn how to speak more clearly. So we make sure that every word that we speak as a believer is custom built, custom designed to meet the need of the person at that exact moment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for words. We thank you for speech. We pray that you'd help us to be encouraging our words to one another. We thank you again for our moms. Help us to speak words today to them that would encourage and and lift them up. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.